Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special two-part podcast series on K2 Integrity, Integrities Matters podcast. In this two-part series, we're going to look at Fraud Trends in 2022 with Olivia Allison, Senior Managing Director at K2 Integrity, and in part two, The Future of AML with Kobe Bambia, Managing Director at K2 Integrity. K2 Integrity is the sponsor of this special two-part podcast series, and you can find out more about K2 Integrity at their website, k2integrity.com. This special two-part podcast series on Integrity Matters is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to this episode in our year-in retrospective with K2 Integrity. Today, I have with me Olivia Allison. Um, she is a native Texan, so first off, very cool. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today, Olivia. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Thanks, Tom. Could you tell us uh, your professional background and what your current role at K2 Integrity is? Yeah, definitely. So uh, my background, I've joined K2 earlier this year uh, in January. I'm coming up on one full year K2. And before that, I had done a number of different things, uh, both in the due diligence and um, political risk industry. Uh, and then I spent 10 years in a big four firm where I ultimately was a partner who was responsible for setting up the forensic practice in uh, Ukraine and in Kazakhstan, although I also spent a, about five years in London uh, in, a, in a big four as well. So kind of my background has spanned the full range of what uh, we would typically call forensic or investigative services, everything from sort of due diligence all the way through to kind of investigations and including cyber. So a pretty wide gamut of uh, professional experience. So would a reference to London Homesick Blues be appropriate? Absolutely. Uh, I love this. Uh, I love that song. I love Jerry Jeff Walker. I uh, rescued a few uh, Jerry Jeff Walker records uh, from my personal collection recently. So let me uh, start up by asking you at the outset of 2021, uh, many people thought we would see uh, new or expanded types of fraud uh, topologies uh, around the COVID-19 pandemic, around the and in, at least in the United States, the uh, PPE uh, and the PPE. Uh, from your perspective, did you see the usual red flags? Did you see uh, just an increase or perhaps uh, something different? So I think this is, I think what has come out, and you see this in all the sort of year end statistics um, that a lot of people collect in relation to fraud. Um, there's a couple of different interesting trends. So one is kind of what you're referring to in the healthcare sector and in some of the public procurement. Uh, and I would also lump in with that actually a number of different supply chain issues. So there's a lot of issues. We've done a couple of investigations related to COVID procurement and to healthcare procurement in relation specifically to the pandemic. And actually what has come up on that has been a lot related to supply chains. So often those are very complex supply chains that were procured in short periods of time. And so you actually have a number of different stages. And so something can go wrong, uh, whether it's at the factory level or multiple intermediaries before they get, for example, to the U.S. or to Europe. 
So that's one interesting typology of just what we've seen in terms of investigations. And I would expect some of that scrutiny to continue, specifically in relation to COVID procurement and, and some of the public procurement, uh, just because it has been getting more and more media attention. And obviously, there's a lot of spend from governments in relation to that. So there's sort of public interest. Um, but I would also uh, look at a couple of other um, fraud-related issues. So one of them is around data. Um, it's probably not a surprise to anybody that we're spending a lot more time at home. Uh, and that is both like in terms of com consumer activity as well as working activity. And you see both a lot more um, insider fraud inside of companies because people are kind of bypassing controls, sometimes maliciously. Sometimes it's not fraudulent, but they just think that the controls are inconvenient. And so there's some some surveys recently uh, showing that especially younger people um, just think that some of the controls are inconvenient and they just try to work around them. Uh, and so that obviously that puts organizations at risk. Um, but then also there's, of course, just so much more online commerce. There's so many different types of hacking. Um, and so you start to see more, for example, biometric fingerprint on an iPhone or something like that that type of um, security measures that companies are putting in. And then of course, with that comes the risk that your biometrics will get stolen. Um, there's, you know, synthetic identity fraud, which relates to, you know, fake people being put together, maybe my fingerprint and somebody else's date of birth. And, and you can come up with a different type of person. Uh, and that can also be used to create fake users and, and drive particularly on payment systems fraud. Um, but also, and this is my final point on, on, on this particular question, I would say that there's also the risk factor that just people are moving around a lot more in the labor market. So people are changing jobs and they might be starting work remotely, including me. Like I started my job um, for six months. I was working completely remotely. Uh, and it is very difficult to have the same level of connection with your employer in that scenario. And companies have to work a lot harder to build some kind of consistent culture. And we know that fraudsters typically justify their um, their activities, their frauds, uh, based on, for example, you know, the company owes me a bit more or something like that. And if you don't have that level of loyalty, just there's a kind of widespread risk that people may be justifying certain actions to themselves. Um, and you may not know because you just don't see them as much as maybe you would have seen employees in the past. So I think there's a lot of things brewing that are difficult for companies, um, whether it's supply chain, uh, data, and then just kind of employee loyalty that cause problems in the future. Olivia, perhaps the most prescient comment I heard during the pandemic was, uh, a gentleman said, we've moved from disaster recovery to business continuity to business as usual. And by that, he meant uh, there's no such thing anymore as a black swan event. There's no such thing as the unexpected. There'll just be something new or different. And I wanted to use that as really a way to introduce my next question, which is, what's your advice to companies to safeguard against fraud really in this era of um, not the, the unexpected, but really just the next event or even the next risk? So I have a few. I think it's a, a good observation. Um, and, and actually what a lot of people are talking about as well is sort of multi-vector crises. So crises coming from a lot of different directions, which means as a company, you know, you're not just responding to one particular threat or a threat vector. There's just a lot of things going on at the same time. Um, that said, there's some kind of technical things that you can do and probably one or two fluffy things that I would also recommend. 
Um, you need to make sure that your protocols, data security, your policies and procedures are clear and manageable, um, and that you're really onboarding staff when you bring them on and making sure that people actually really understand your procedures um, and that they're actually following them. And there's kind of a point about tone for the top, which I'm going to circle back to a few times, but making sure that kind of what's written on paper is also what happens in practice. Because I think one of the things that that doesn't happen when people are working from home is that you might see something on paper. There's a policy you hear about on day one. But in the office, like if I say, you know, should I do this or that um, in theory and in ideal and hopefully uh, practical world? Uh, my boss would say, well, you do the thing that's written in the policy. And then it's sort of reinforced constantly. But if you're working by yourself and making your own decisions, you might not have that reinforced all the time. So I think it's really important that you are, you know, that your protocols and policies are clear and manageable um, and that you constantly are embedding anything that's changing, um, but also the old stuff, too. And I think that relates also to looking at um you need to be looking at the data, not just for data's sake. And this is a trend that's been going on for a long time. Um, but companies more and more are building either self-made dashboards. For the most part, actually, I've seen a lot of self-made dashboards of different fraud indicators. But they're also starting to try to use those um, data points to actually prevent fraud. Um, so there's not it's not sort of enough to just look at data points that might indicate that there's fraud, but also using it to drive control. So I think that's something that is a trend and also something that companies need to be looking at how they're doing. So they're not just gathering data about things, but actually using it to drive decisions. Um, and then also making sure that where you are detecting uh, different frauds that are happening or just controls being bypassed and things like that, that you're A, of course, fixing that very quickly, um, but B, um, you know, refreshing your training. So that's obviously something that people are bypassing for one reason or another. Um, and you need to make sure that that, that bypass is closed, of course, but then also that you're kind of reinforcing that. And I think constant messages that are shorter are better than kind of having some kind of annual training program that's a bit longer. And again, I think thinking about different working practices where you continue to have people um, outside the office, whether it's in a hybrid situation or fully remote, coming up with the right kind of working so that people are constantly hearing you know, multiple levels. So they're not just talking to peers, but also having some kind of informal, but, you know, still work related interaction with people at, at level above them, multiple levels above them, and also levels below them. Mm -hmm. So that you're reinforcing all of the cultural and kind of normative um, things that you have in place at your company. All of those are really important. So how about uh, into 2022 and beyond? So for instance, the United States, uh, Congress has passed uh, legislation that uh, will pump a lot more money into public works. Uh, perhaps uh, in the UK or Europe, they're looking, or the EU rather, they're looking at other types of stimulus packages. Uh, would you see that as a risk or, or that uh, and others, or perhaps a, a different set of risks going into 2022 and perhaps even beyond? Yeah, I think definitely as we um, hopefully are emerging maybe unevenly from the pandemic, um, there will be a period of rebuilding. And a lot of that is going to be focused on some of the new priorities that have emerged during the pandemic. So there will be new types of investment, you know, different types of, you know, future energy or infrastructure projects that are coming. I think obviously um, all of that needs to have appropriate controls and, you know, there's complex su supply chains and things like that. I think other um, things that are getting a lot of attention are obviously um, 
anti-corruption and ethical business conduct, um, which is getting renewed attention from the US government, but other regulators as well. So a lot of other governments, France, um, and some of the other governments in Europe have stepped up in relation to whistleblowing laws. Um, and obviously all of those things drive also fraud detection um, as well. So those are important trends. Um, and then I also would say that issues around culture and motivation have a long tail. So everything I'm talking about with people, you know, employees being not very engaged, that will continue to play out for not just next year, but probably for a number of years where um, you need to make sure that you're kind of screening your employees in existing probably and and new ones to make sure that, you know, you're not inadvertently uh, inviting into your organization people who might be uh, have some ethical uh, risks associated with them. So I think all of those things are really big uh elements that were, you know, we've just started to see this sort of great uh, turnover in terms of the labor, labor market, and that's getting a lot of attention in the media right now. But I think that there will be uh, more of that. And also the implications of that are going to continue to be felt for a long time. Let me pick up on one point you raised, uh, the EU whistleblower directive, which actually came into force in December 2021. Uh, I've read the last four or five ACFE reports to the nation. And one of the consistent themes in every report is that fraud is almost always detected internally and either reported internally or picked up through internal audit or internal controls or some other mechanism. Uh, With the EU whistleblower directive, would you see an uptick in reports of fraud in in addition to different types of conduct such as uh, uh, corruption or anti-competitive behavior or other types that I think people might associate uh, whistleblowing more traditionally with? I think that, yeah, I I think yes, although I would say that there's a couple of different factors and they work against each other in some ways. So I think that, I mean, the EU whistleblowing directive is explicitly set out in order to increase whistleblowing. And as a company, it's a little bit different than some of the other provisions that you, you have in the States. Um, companies have a duty to inform employees that sort of reporting to the company is your should be your first point of call but you basically have a legal right to whistleblow to the government as well and you need to employ uh inform employees about that and also to the media so the media is a sort of third line of whistleblowing which i think is really interesting that you kind of have a duty to train your employees about that i would imagine that there's a lot of companies that that may not want to be advertising that their employees can sort of uh put things into the media if they think that they haven't been dealt with appropriately by the company so i think that's super interesting um and i would imagine anytime you start talking more about whistleblowing it does often drive um, at least a temporary uptick in whistleblowing reports but equally if where you have a lot of hybrid working or people out of the office they may just not be seeing that much misconduct because they're not around their peers or other people so I think that also kind of works against it. But I would imagine that in general, they're trying to incentivize people to blow the whistle on things that they think are wrong. So I would imagine that there will be an uptick. Olivia, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I have a special bonus question for you. Okay. Your favorite Jerry Jeff Walker album. Oh, album. That's really difficult. Um I've just started getting into some of the really old ones, uh, so I am not sure that I can fully answer that, but I really love Jerry Jeff Walker. Then how about your favorite song? Um, I do love London Homesick Blues, actually. It's one of my most favorites. Um, and 
I've just been listening to it actually yesterday. So I think that is one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Uh, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you very much, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this part one of a special two-part podcast series on K2 Integrity's Integrity Matters podcast. I hope you'll join us again next week for part two, where I visit with Kobe Bambia, Managing Director at K2 Integrity on the future of AML. If you'd like any more information on the topics we discussed in today's podcast, you can visit the K2 Integrity website and go to Olivia Allison's uh, page and contact her in that manner. Uh, We've linked to it in the show notes under the resources section. If you'd like more information on K2 Integrity, check out their website, www.k2integrity.com. I look forward to visiting with you again next week with Kobe Bambilla. This special two-part podcast series on K2 Integrity's Integrity Matters podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.